Welcome to the Adventure Creator Podcast. My guest today, back for round two, the co-founder of Morosco Forge, Jason Stoffer. Jason shares in depth about his journey transitioning from his full-time job to being a full-time entrepreneur, how Morosco has grown, especially over the past year. It's absolutely blown up. They've A year ago, I had a conversation with Jason and we had a sense that growth was on the horizon. And to circle back to him here in mid-November 2020 and to see how much has happened is incredible. They've been featured by some big names, including Ben Greenfield and others. Morosco Forge produces the Ferrari of cold plunges, of cold ice baths. So they have a cold system as well as a filtration system to keep the water clean and pure. Definitely want to check out a little photo or just their website to see exactly what we're talking about because we do not introduce that. We dive straight into Jason's story. I learned a bunch in this conversation, including why Jason reads some nonfiction and old 50 plus year old fiction at the same time and how there are some parallels in between those things. So I'm going to get out of the way here. Fantastic conversation with Jason Stoffer. Here we go. Jason Stoffer, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been about a year and uh, I'm stoked because we've had a conversation on podcast number nine and now we're going to get to circle back another little time capsule in the universe and uh, hear what's new. I'm sure uh, a ton of new stuff and you've mentioned to me just like every day feels like an adventure that fires me up mm-hmm. to hear. Um, yeah, but what, what has been new? What's new in your personal life and in the business? Um, I, I don't know that those two things are, are different. I mean, <laughs> kind of part of the journey is melding, um, you know, the work and life balance into just life. Uh, the, the company is doing well. Um, gratefully, we're very grateful that we, um, we've kind of been booming this year. Uh, our orders really started taking off. Uh, about early to mid-April. So this coincides and correlates with the beginnings of lockdowns. Um, We don't know exactly, and we have no lens into exactly what it was that triggered uh, a boom in sales. It could be gyms and wellness centers being closed down, uh, people looking to invest in their home fitness equipment, um, people really seeking more metabolic and immune health. Uh, We also had some great social media promotion from Ben Greenfield, which really gave us a boost in, in, in our bandwidth. Uh, and then just, you know, some organic growth, you know, sometimes you, your, your early adopters plant seeds and they tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on. We really don't know. Um, but uh, late March, early April, uh, we went from, uh, you know, receiving about two to three orders per month, which is what we had kind of been leapfrogging through, through um, 2019 and early uh, 2020 to all of a sudden it was two to three orders a week. And then it was two to three orders a day. Oh. And I think we had one day where we literally sold five units in a day. And uh, we've just been really kind of uh, working to rise to that occasion uh, um, ever since. Uh, hiring new staff, training, uh, moving into the commercial warehouse facility, which we moved into, I think now it's about two weeks ago. Uh, that was kind of a grueling eight-month process of looking for the right lease. Um, we got really close on a couple of properties only to have the deals fall apart at the very end, which is really kind of disappointing. Um, but now we've got the the space and we're, um, you know, we're, we're 
getting our supplies together. Uh, supplies have gotten really weird sometimes. A lot of things are made in China and South America and borders have been closed. So we've often been scrounging to find components and parts like that. But all in all, we're grateful for the challenges. And uh, I think uh, we're, we're starting to really increase our productivity and be able to produce more units and get them out um, faster as our demand is still going. Uh, I think we still have a backlog of about 50 orders. Um, but we're, uh, we're getting to the place where we're able to um, bring those lead times down and, and be able to deliver them within, you know, a couple of months rather than four or five. Cool, man. Wow. That's uh, incredible growth, like from one to two a month or three a month to five in a yeah. day. So are you guys, yeah. man, I'm, I want to hear like how you actually scale something like that, because I know it's not it's not something you can just like call a manufacturer and they just like pump it out for you. It's such a high quality product and it has like a lot of craftsmanship involved. And yeah, it sounds yeah. like you guys got, uh, got through the process of finding a new lease. That's pretty cool. Or a new warehouse. Yeah. Are you, are you bringing in more people to the team? Um, I think we will once we're a little bit more settled. Uh, right now I like the team that we have and I feel that now that we're in the facility and we can set things up with a little bit more intention we have a roof over the production facility, which is just massive. You know, <laughs> we, uh, you know, our, my, my crew worked, uh, you know, in my backyard through the summer in Phoenix, Arizona. It was one of the hottest summers on record. It was like pushing 120 some days. And, you know, I've got, a, I've got a swimming pool back there and I've got a couple of big trees that provide some shade, but it's just not, it's not built for, you know, production. And the supplies are out in the elements. You know, we get here in um, in southern Arizona, central southern Arizona, we get uh, monsoon rains in the summer, which just come on super quickly. They're super intense. They'll dump a ton of water, wind blowing all over the place, and then it's gone in like 20 minutes. Uh, and then we'll get sandstorms, things like that. I remember uh, Adrian, uh, my wife and I, we were driving home one evening, I think from dinner, and one of these things hit while we were away, and we're like, I wonder if they tied down the insulation panels and we're driving up to the neighborhood and sure as shit, one of them was like sitting in the middle of 35th Avenue. Oh, <laughs> man. Like, yeah, you guys have panels like blowing out of your backyard. <laughs> so these are the challenges that, you know, not only rising to the occasion of needing to produce more units, these are kind of the challenges that we were going through with the situation that we were in being a home-based unit a home-based business um, looking for that warehouse facility that would work with us. Um, you know, and it's just, <laughs> you just kind of uh, try not to cry too much, laugh it off, clean up the mess and then, you know, keep working. Man. So I want to ask a little bit about you. Cause I think, I don't remember even what we talked about last time, but I would like to know, like in terms of your mindset as an entrepreneur, did you always have that knack in you? And was it something that you just, kind of finally tapped into or was it something that you grew into later in life and kind of developed? I think I had to learn the lesson. Um, and I think I learned it, um, kind of a hard way. Another update on me, um, that I think is, is, uh, relevant to this part of the conversation is that I think it's been three months now that I, since I quit my day job, since I finally left my day job. Congrats. So last Talked, I still had a day job as a uh, pharmaceutical business analyst working with nonprofit hospitals. And Rotsko Forge, I was doing part-time nights, weekends, things like that. Um, and being three months out of the employment model and as a full-time entrepreneur, 
has really driven home uh, the lesson that, you know, innately I am an entrepreneur. And even though this is a roller coaster of emotions, it comes with different stress levels of, you know, finances and, you know, now we've got a payroll, things like that. The liberation of my mind and of my creativity that comes from being outside of that employment model and working for my own passion project has just been exponential. And so whether or not I was always this way, I would say, and I think my business partner, Tom, would agree that, yes, I was always the kind of person who would thrive most outside of the employment model and in the entrepreneurship model. I think I had to learn that lesson and it was a tough lesson to learn looking back because, you know, maybe I didn't want to believe it or, or, or I didn't feel like, like I wanted to take the risk because it is risky. And I think a lot of what keeps people in the employment model is that it's safe. It's somebody else's investment. It's, you know, I just get a paycheck and I pay my taxes and I get my healthcare and my dental and things like that. Um, and it's more structured and there's less to kind of figure out and, and push through. And that's fine. And, you know, that works for a lot of people. But um, for me, looking back, it never worked very well. It was the cause of a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, that kind of loathing being at work. Like you go to work because you need the money, but then you're there. And you're like, how the fuck do I get out of here? Like, you know, where's the where's the door? You know, how do I how do I get what I need done done and make the money that I need to make and then just go home? and and recover from that process uh which is another thing that i think is interesting because what i'm starting to come to realize is a lot of the a lot of the habits that people have um um could very well be like self-medication from the employment model like we go to work we clock in we we pull the lever or we do the thing and it's stressful because it doesn't quite serve us and it's a bureaucratic process depending on you know, what kind of employment we have, whether it's a small company, large corporation, whatever, we can't really be ourselves, you know, um, to a certain extent, we all, you know, you go to an office and everybody's dressed a certain way The the guys are on the polos and the khakis and the blah, 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 blah. And there's all these things to fit into that don't, or may not serve us. Maybe they do serve some people, but they don't serve all of us. Um, and so then you go home and then you go to the fridge and you, you, you get alcohol or you smoke a bunch of pot or you do whatever you turn on the TV. And that's just kind of, you know, you grab some snacks, some bad food, some pizza, some whatever, all of these comforting things can for a lot of people end up being a self-medicating process because they are in a model that doesn't serve them. And it is creating that stress and that anxiety. And I think for me, a lot of that was true. Um, and so it's just been interesting these last three months to, to kind of go on that journey. And I'll, I'll tell you, my sense of time is jacked up right now. Slowing like, down. Um, oh yeah. Slowing way, way down. Uh, and, and like, I, I, it's difficult for me to, to maintain the concept of a day, a week, a month, like what was last week, what's going on next week. Um, just like I said, like, I think it's been three months since I left my job. Maybe it's getting closer to four now. I would have to look that up, um, especially in the beginning. I think like the first two weeks out of that that day job, I was like, how many years has it been? Jason, it's been two weeks, <laughs> you know, but that just, again, goes to show when you can, um, the more that we can kind of uh, emerge ourselves from those default systems, those 
you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five, everybody's working for the weekend um, because their weeks suck. And so they drone through the week and then, you know, they, they have the Saturday, Sunday, and then it's back to, you know, a case of the Mondays on Monday. Once you can kind of liberate or emerge from that, it's very interesting what can happen with creative energy and time and what you can actually get accomplished. I agree 100%. I can only relate in college. I don't know if I told you my story, but real briefly, I was always floating through the week, floating through, you know, looking for Friday, Saturday, and maybe my my workout each day. But when I left college, I got actually got kicked out of college right before I was going to graduate. And I look back at that day as the day that I like took control of my own path in a way. And since then, I, I tell my girlfriend all the time, I feel like I'm three and a half, four years old or something like that, because my, I have like two, two chapters in my life. One, when I was just basically living my parents' dream for me, you know, they wanted the best for me. They wanted me to be on this kind of like stable path. And I think a lot of people that I talk to can resonate with what you were saying in terms of it just doesn't really serve you in terms of who you're really supposed to be. I think we have deep down some innate need to actualize a future for ourselves that's not somebody else's dream my buddy um just told me this quote it's in he was in a bar in guatemala he told me this story and this guy walked by this drunk guy and was like if you aren't building your own dream you're building someone else's something like that and uh i've resonated with that a lot but um yeah it's really interesting what you're talking about time and your business so it's obviously not all dandelions and, and fun. So how do you handle the times when like you are stressed? Like, what do you, I know, I, cause I follow you on Instagram. I know you got off the alcohol for a while and then we're kind of just like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to pick up a drink when I want to now. Cause now you have kind of control over it. You broke that habit in a way. Talk about that. Talk about what else you do to keep your mental state in the right place to be able to operate at a high level. Sure. Uh, and first and foremost, I take ice baths. I mean, yeah. I've, I've said <laughs> it's interesting that my my company is both the cause of and solution to a lot of uh, stress and anxiety. Um, and so that's that's probably one of my bigger go to's. Uh, and also just checking in on myself. Uh, I don't I've, I've never been a person who keeps a pretty rigid routine. Um so it's not like, you know, I journal 20 minutes every day and I go to the gym or I do an exercise, things like that. I tend to just pick things up as, as you know, my nebulous mind wants to. Um, so that said, I do, I have started journaling sporadically, not, um, not religiously. Uh, uh, diet is a big part of it, I find. Um, and I, I try to stick to um, not a pure diet in any sense, but most of the time I'm like uh, high protein, high fat, low carb, low sugar. Uh, I do a lot of uh, intermittent and extended fasting. I'm usually only eating one meal a day, which basically means I'm doing a 24 hour fast every day. Um, right now, I think I'm on, what's today? Today is Wednesday. Um, and Monday evening was my last meal, and I think I'll eat tonight. So that'll be about a 48-hour fast. Um, and I find that, that that goes into the emotional regulation portion of entrepreneurship because one of the biggest things that the practice of fasting and reducing carbs and sugar from my diet had taught me was that emotional control. And first of all, what most people um, sense as hunger is really just a carbohydrate or a sugar craving because 
most people are caught in that cycle of, you know, having a certain amount of carbohydrates and sugars at a meal, and then they go a few hours, and then the what feels like hunger sets in, but really that's just a carb craving. And so teaching me, first of all, that that's an emotional process and being able to break that emotional process helped put more in my tool belt for other types of emotional regulation processes. So now if it's stress or anxiety about a work thing, because I've trained myself to overcome those, those hangry emotions and those emotions of get the fuck out of the ice bath, you crazy fool, what are you doing? That starts to be applied in other areas as well. Um, so those are some of the big things that um, that I think really, really help uh, with the process. Uh, and then just, you know, checking in with my partners, um, my business partner, Tom, and my wife, Adrian, our partner, Cody. There's, you know, four of us who are vested partners in the company. Um, we we call ourselves the Hydra Mind. Um, and so we, we check in with each other and we understand that, you know, it's a safe space for us to sometimes be a little bit like this is freaking me out. This is stressing me out. And, you know, fortunately not all four of us have expressed that at the same time, you know, usually it's one person who pops up as the, as the person who's really having a, a stressful moment. And then the others can kind of, you know, bring that one person down. And so having that network and those partners, I think is, is those co-founders, I think is, is really valuable as well. I see a lot of young entrepreneurs, um, who seem to be going at this alone. And I don't know, maybe that's just a youth thing or a cultural thing, whatever it is. But I've always found that I'm, I'm always better when I've got partners around because then I don't spiral out of control and start to get into my own head too much without having somebody there to kind of you know bounce things off of. That's so, wise, like a, almost like a board of directors for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's important, um, and uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs that have that have written about it. And um, if you study some of the the titans of industry from the early 1900s, you realize that they were all friends, like you know, mm -hmm. um, Harvey Firestone and um, um, J.P. Morgan, and you know, all of these all these big names that are on like big buildings right now. Um, you know, they were all buddies. They went hunting together. They went out to a cabin in the woods every year. Um, and just, you know, kind of bounce things off of each other. And they stay very closely connected. Uh, I think that's very important in entrepreneurship is to have that kind of, that kind of uh, network and ecosystem um, that is, that you can be open and honest with each other with. Wise. And I also, I like the connection that you're making between emotional health and your diet. I think that's something that's often overlooked. People don't really want to hear that sometimes. I feel like if you have uh, an unhealthy or relatively just like not the healthiest diet, you're going to have those mm -hmm. mood swings, right? And you're going to feel down and up and down. And um, I work with a mental health nonprofit. And sometimes some of the stuff even our organization puts out is like, hey, you know, whatever you need to do to cope, go ahead and do that. If it's watch TV, if it's like grab a bag of chips, like it's kind of like just solve the problem in the moment, but then you're just cycling into that same loop you're not really going to the root cause and pulling it out so I, I really think that there's some value in what you're talking about there and did you was that process of getting your diet to where it's at today did that happen overnight was that a slow incremental change where 48 hours fasting to me sounds ridiculously long I mean I, I've done 16 20 hours maybe I, I don't think I've ever done a full day in my life but I have heard mm -hmm. some of the benefits of it in terms of just having a sharper mind 
emotional regulation, just all the, giving your body a break once in a while, your organs to kind of rest. Mm-hmm. But how was that process? Uh, I can't remember what finally motivated me to do a 24 hour fast, uh, which I think the first one I did was probably about two years ago or so. It might've been just a part of, you know, the same process I was on, which led me to the cold exposure was just finding the ways to challenge me. Um, and I had been reading, um, about, uh, you know, old philosophers and new philosophers who were into the practice. And so maybe that just kind of sparked my curiosity. Uh, and so I did a 24 hour fast and that was like, as soon as I hit that 24 hour mark, it was like, this epiphany, like this, this like bell went off and it was like, wow, there's just, there's just a whole bunch that I can learn from this. There's a whole bunch that I didn't know or a a bunch that I believed about um, the human, you know, need for food and, you know, how often and things like that. It was just untrue. It was like poking through the system again, like poking through the system of time, poking through the system of nutrition again and realizing that, so much information that is out there is just, it's inaccurate. Um, and a lot of it is really just geared towards marketing. A lot of nutritional information is just marketing. It's marketing highly profitable products that are nutritionally poor. And that default system is so pervasive that, you know, most of the people who are in it and most of the people who are preaching these messages, you know, they aren't, actually aware that what they're saying isn't really true, um, which is interesting. Uh, And then after that, it was learning after that first 24 hour fast, it was learning, uh, you know, which foods were, were getting me to my desired outcomes. And it's an experiment. And I, I tell people all the time that above all, I, what I advocate for is personal experimentation. Like are your life decisions moving you closer to your life goals? And be open to understanding that sometimes, you know, you're saying, well, how is, how is what I'm having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner going to move me further or uh, further away from or closer to a job promotion or whatever it is that your life goals are? Just realize that or be open to the idea that, yes, those things do matter and start experimenting with those things and find out what's right for you. Uh, like I said, I, I tend towards a high protein, high fat um, diet. I eat a lot of meat. Um, and that's, what's right for me. And that's what has led me towards my, my life goals of being more emotionally regulated for entrepreneurship. It's what led me to being, you know, more physically fit and, um, you know, having some better blood test results. You know, my testosterone has improved, even though I'm now 41 years old. Um, I'm actually gaining testosterone, which is great for, for men's health. Um, but if, if your experiment leads you into a, a vegan diet and if the vegan diet is moving you closer to your life goals, then that's the outcome of that experiment and go ahead and be open to adopting that. Uh, so that said, you know, through experimentation, I found the things that helped me um, to eat less and to be able to fast. Uh, and I think that's what kind of guided me towards those high protein diets. I found because a lot of a lot of intermittent fasting and extended fasting is about what you eat when you're eating. So if you want to get to your first 24 hour fast, I recommend going like three or four days, like no carbs, no sugar, because then when you go ahead and you hit that day where you're like, OK, I'm going to eat, you know, uh, dinner on Monday and I'm not going to eat again until 
24 hours later on Tuesday, it'll be an easier time for you because you will have already done a lot of work to make sure you're not experiencing those carbon sugar cravings. Um, so then it was, yeah, it's just all about experimentation, finding, you know, what, yeah, what are the meals that I can have that are uh, good for me, that, that, that sustain me, but I only need one of them a day. So a lot of things with food choices, you can pick and choose different foods, but some foods you have to eat a lot more of to get the same nutrition. Some foods you can eat less of and get the same nutrition. And so experimenting with that is just kind of what led me to the practices where I'm at today. And again, I'm not a Puritan, you know, um, Adrian and I will go out and we will absolutely murder a cheeseburger and fries a couple times a week. But, um, you know, that's just, we, we understand now because we've developed the practices that when we do that, the next day, we're going to experience those carb cravings. And we're going to identify them as carb cravings and not be like, oh, I need another cheeseburger and French fries because that's the only thing that's going to, you know, satisfy this. And so now I'm eating three cheeseburgers and French fries a day rather than like two a week. Um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's just kind of my ramble on on what led me to my, my current life. Um, yeah, I noticed just through following you, talking to you a couple times that you are someone who I would consider very open-minded and autonomous in the way that you think and act basically like, is that something that you, were you like a rebel child and that was always in you or have you found that just living life, like you said, like not necessarily turning to resources to determine like what the best foods for you are, but actually experimenting yourself. Like, mm. what is that? Is that, a, is that a trait? I'm just interested in you as a person here and and uh, I, I kind of share a little bit about uh, of that because I was always kind of like, I, well, I was raised like Roman Catholic is the best religion. The government is like on our side. And in high school, I started to kind of ask questions like, wait, is this like I was 16 and my friends were telling me about certain things. I was like, really? Like I thought something else. So I had this big shift and it was like a pendulum. It swung to like hardcore. I won't, I won't even want to say conspiracy theories, but kind of just like I would believe a lot of stuff that then I look back and be like, ah, okay, that was a little, little too far out there. But um, now I'm kind of back in the middle where I do think there's a huge importance in that. So what, how do you think about yourself in terms of your just open-mindedness and just your, the way that you think and live? Uh, I think, I think, and you could ask my parents, um, but I think I was, I've always been skeptical of, um, whatever was given to me, whether it's a piece of information or, um, you know, a food or something like that. Uh, my mother likes to tell this story about when I was born, um, you know, in October, 1979. Uh, and, you know, my, my mother was 18. My father, I think he was like 22, you know, they're very young, um, just starting out, uh, didn't have a whole lot of money at all. Um, and so they're going to be like, okay, we're going to start Jason out on baby formula, but we don't have a whole lot of money. So we're going to buy the cheapest baby formula that is on the shelf at the grocery store. And they brought that home. And I was like, you know, two, three days old, something like that. I just spit it out. I'm like, I'm not drinking the crap. And they're like, okay, we're going to go back to the grocery store and we're going to find the second cheapest baby formula. And they brought that home. And I just spit it out. I'm like, get that garbage out of here. <laughs> And systematically, they did this until they got to the most expensive baby formula on the shelf. And that was the only one that I would drink. That's so They're funny. like, okay, this is the kind of kid we're going to have. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I think my dad was, he was either working in a rock quarry or maybe he was stocking groceries at night, maybe doing both to make ends meet. My mom was, you know, just going to be a stay at home mom. Um, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, we were poor, but here I am the baby that will only drink the most expensive baby formula. On <laughs> so, you know, and that kind of, uh, I think that kind of set me up, not only that experience, but maybe even that nutritional value, because you know, there's probably some reason that my parents were quite aware of, of why that baby formula was so expensive, sort of like, you know, fat content or something that the, the Nestle stuff wasn't quite <laughs> given me. Um, but I think that that's a good story to tell. It just kind of sets up, you know, the way I've kind of approached things in life is always as like the natural skeptic. And, um, Sometimes, you know, sometimes pretty adamantly, you know, I've, I've backed off a lot of it. I think in my late teens and early 20s, I was I was I was kind of angry about everything that I saw in the world that didn't quite make sense to me. And I, I wanted to, like, preach it and I wanted to convince people, like, no, you have to understand, like, the government is a sham. Christianity is false. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and I backed off a lot of that and just tried to find um, uh, a better way to express myself that, um, you know, is either received or it's not received and people can, you know, choose to lean in and listen, or they can choose to walk away and call me a nut if they want to. But I think I've, I've always been skeptical and challenging and, um, and I've, I've always sought to figure out what resonates is true to me, um, whether or not, that is a majority opinion, a minority opinion, an official opinion, whatever. It's always been like, okay, here's this information or whatever. I'm going to, to put that in the maybe pile until something really kind of rings true to me about it and not just, not just accept it, you know, for, for what it is because it was given to me by my parents or by society or school or anything like that. hundred percent. I was challenging to my teachers as well um, from, from kindergarten on. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, um, there's a lot of stories I could tell about that. <laughs> you grew up in hard. Phoenix? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I did. I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. Wow. That's so funny. A lot of people, they'll think ignorance is bliss. There's this mindset sometimes where it's like, I'd rather just not know. I think a lot of people have that mindset and something that's innate in me is like, I would rather know the hard like sometimes cold, dark truth, then be yeah. ignorant to the truth. And that yeah. comes along with grappling with some of the, like the evils of the world, some of the corruption. Um, but ultimately I think you're in a better place if you can look at the world, like questions will be answered more clearly if you actually are willing to be like, huh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe what I'm told isn't right. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's really liberating and it, it opened my mind up and I think led to the path of me wanting to become an entrepreneur. I, I identify as an entrepreneur. I'm a freelance video editor. I don't own a business necessarily that produces products or anything like that, but I would like to get kind of keep going in that direction. So I'm always loving the opportunity to learn from someone like you. One thing. Are you registered for business though? Do you have a business license, an LLC? I don't actually have an LLC in Washington. My understanding is you need to make 75 grand before you need an LLC. So I'm a sole proprietor, um, but mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm paid my first um, health insurance this past, actually this month. I just turned 26. So I'm going to have to open an LLC and then basically pay myself or use the LLC to pay my health insurance. You get some discounts there. So that's, that's the, what's prompting me to 
open the LLC, it's just 150 bucks that I've avoided spending. Um, yeah, but it's like 85 in Arizona. 85. And I don't with as many requirements. <laughs> yeah, Washington, we have a little higher taxes, a little more, a little more to deal yeah. with. But um, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Do you attribute your ability? So you you you're three months full time with Morosco. How has your mental health mind state changed since fully going on into that? And you mentioned a little bit about just having more creative space. Um, one of the things I love about my job is I have maybe like 25 hours, 30 hours a week at most for my for my full time job, and then I have the ability to do this podcast at. 11 a.m. on a Wednesday and I just I'm, I'm in a good place now but I know it's just not going to last forever where do you like how, how do, how's your mindset right now and how are you feeling uh, it's been really good uh, fulfilling is a word I use a lot sometimes people will ask me you know Jason you work really hard are you happy like my mom oh, I just want you to be happy son and like, well, I don't really design my life for happiness as an outcome. I mean, there's happiness in it, um, but it's more about being fulfilled. And that comes with the roller coaster of, you know, accomplishment and challenge and stress and anxiety and liberation and creativity and all these things, you know, in that process that I just I think fulfillment is really the word that really um, does it for me. And so it's been very fulfilling. Um, I was definitely kind of burning the candle at both ends, especially as, as um, Rotsko Forge was booming and I still had the day job, you know, it's, it was, it was very, very much, um, you know, every waking moment was dedicated to one or the other. Um, and so I think there was a little bit of a recovery process from that, especially in the first few weeks. Um, I, there would be times where all of a sudden my my heart would skip a beat because I felt like I hadn't checked my my work email or I hadn't like produced a, some report that I was supposed to produce and I'd be like oh shit oh no wait no I don't do that anymore like you know That's I don't funny. I don't have this other job that I've switched off to focus on the company or I don't have this company that I've switched off to focus on the job and that kind of cognitive switching back and forth was. It was a lot. And um, it really did take like, you know, you, you liberate from it and you're like, is this real? Am I am I really this this free? And then you sometimes you feel like I'm not I feel like I'm not being productive because, you know, I'm not working 18 hours a day or anything like that. It's like, no, no, no. Things things are getting done. You're doing the right things. Um, you're on the path. Um, so that's been an interesting part of the process. And uh, I think now I'm in a really good place with it. I think I'm, I'm kind of hitting a stride. Um, still travel a lot. Uh, we we um, Southern California is by large our biggest market, and we're close to that. So we like to um, self-perform those deliveries when we can, um, not only because it kind of helps save the company some money, but it also gets us closer relationships with our customers and with one of our biggest markets. So I'm in Southern California like once a month at least, which has been really interesting this year. Um, crossing that border between Arizona and California is like uh, a whole new world. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, if I remember the question correctly, the, the mindset has been good. It took me a minute to hit that stride, um, but now it's just kind of looking for what the next challenge and the next growth opportunity is and uh, helping to guide the organization in the direction that it needs to go. Do you think people in California... What do you attribute that being your largest market to? I've seen you guys go to some conferences. Um, is that because of the Ben Greenfield promotion? A lot of his people are there. Your guys' social media. Like, how, why is that the biggest 
what are, what's up with the people out there? Uh, I think there is a very health conscious culture there. Um, you know, I think, I mean, that's stereotypical of Southern California. Everybody's a health nut and, you know, um, so that could be it. There's a lot of affluence there. Um, you know, there is a lot of, of, um, of people who have home gyms and home fitness equipment, a lot of biohacking community, um, kind of is central to Southern California. Um, and so I think maybe that goes into it. Uh, again, a lot of these things, it's hard to really tease out what the exact answers are. We can ask each and every person, you know, and try to get that marketing data back from them and try to piece together something. But, uh, it's, I think it's hard to really know. And also it's a project that would maybe not rank very high on our urgent priorities to try to like tease out why it is we right. sell so many things. We just work on building them and nice. getting them there. You just bought a big trailer, you said. How many of those Morosco forges can you fit in there? Four, yeah. Four? Um, yeah. yeah. We've been upgrading equipment. We've, uh, we've got a couple of Jeeps now that um, have like the tow package on them, and we just got the, the big trailer yesterday. Um, and tomorrow, yes, tomorrow, Adrian and I are loading three up and heading out to Southern California. And then Tom is actually loading one up and going up all the way to Menlo Park um, outside of uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, uh, to an in-person conference, a very small, um, like 50-person cat in-person biohacking conference. Uh, so that's really exciting to start to see those events start to come back around. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were getting more lockdowns up in Washington. We were talking right before we were recording. I'm down here in Mexico and nothing's locked down down here. I've, nothing's been locked down really. But um, how has the COVID era impacted your ability? Just maybe not even as just a business, but I know you guys like to go to those conferences, um, health conferences. Do you think have a lot of them been canceled? There was a really big one that um, we were slated to be a, a pretty big part of uh, in Beverly Hills that was scheduled for earlier this year. Uh, it was the um, Upgrade Labs uh, um, biohacking conference that was canceled, postponed. And the, uh, the plan is that it's going to happen sometime next year, but you know, every week is a new week. Uh, so that was disappointing. Um, I think that was really the only one that we were really slated to be involved in. We had just started kind of um, kind of looking for those opportunities and saying, what are the right conferences, the fitness equipment conferences, things like that, that, that we want to be a part of. Uh, and it was disappointing that that one went away. Um, hopefully we still get to be a part of it or, you know, if, if it doesn't come back, that there will be other opportunities um, but then again, when orders just started coming in, it was like all hands on deck. I, you know, that, that at some point, I guess we were like, gosh, I'm so glad that we don't have to go to Beverly Hills this weekend because, and, and potentially get 50 more orders off of the floor, you know, cause we really didn't know what to expect with it because at the time, you know, we're like that we wouldn't, we would not have even been able to promise anything. You know, we're like, Oh, thanks for your order. We'll see you in 2022. Um, and get our shit figured out and get out of the backyard. But um, um, happy to see that come back. Another thing that was was starting to come up that went away and is starting to come back is the inquiries from other entrepreneurs who were considering the wellness space business model. So we were getting 
um, people from you know different parts of the country and even like some down in the Caribbean who were approaching us um, to bring in commercial models for their wellness centers, their resorts, things like that, um, their social clubs. And when lockdowns hit and you know the, we started tanking our own economy, um, you know, all of a sudden those, those people are like, okay, hold on, maybe now's not the time to invest in opening a storefront with a you know biohacking salon in it. Uh, and so all of those went away, um, which was unfortunate, um, not only for us, but, you know, different people had different levels of investment going at the time. And I can sense that there was a lot of money lost, um, a lot of livelihood lost. And those are starting to come back as well. Uh, they're not the same people, though. Like, they're not the same individuals who went away that are starting to come back. Like, I don't know where those individuals are in their business, in their life. But now there are seemingly a new set who are, you know, starting to have the mentality and starting to explore, um, you know, the, the cold and the other biohacking services as a service, which I absolutely love. Um, because when I say this uh, a lot, I know that I build the Ferrari of ice baths and I know that not everybody can afford to have a Ferrari in their garage, you know? Um, and I do think about access to this therapy a lot because it's something that can help I believe everybody, it can help everybody, no matter what it is they're working on. And I want people to be able to afford it. And so I really feel that the future of this therapy, whether it's my device or, or some on that competitor's device, a couple of competitors have popped up this year as well, um, that it's gonna be like the, the tanning salon, only it's gonna be the, the biohacking salon, the cold salon, the sauna contrast salon. Um, I really feel like that model is going to do well um, in the future once it, it's a little bit more stable to take those risks and to open up those storefronts and not worry about your hundred thousand dollar investment getting you know, thrown into the trash by another six week lockdown or something until some imaginary curve is flattened. Um, but <clears throat> because I want people to be able to spend $20 or $50 a month or whatever, and be able to, to access that therapy because I do believe in it. And it's not something that we set out to be, um, exclusionary to anybody, but it, being new in something like this and being in an innovator, something like this means it's very expensive for us um, to to innovate it, to research it, to design it, to build it, um, and so that it becomes expensive to the consumer, which means that a lot of our consumers tend to have um, more means than other people, and so really working to bring that access down is something that I think about a lot and something that I really hope um, next year, uh, we can start to get a handle on, and then you'll see the little centers pop up all around the country that have, you know, the, the service as, as, as a drop-in service. I can't wait for that day. And I agree with you. I think it's going to be, I mean, someone like myself, I, first of all, I'm not planning on living in one place for an extended period of time. So even if I did have a couple grand to buy one, I wouldn't really know where to put it. I'm renting here, yeah. renting there. Um, but actually, I don't know if I told you this, but Right next door here in Mexico, the guys, I was at a little vegan restaurant and this guy walks through and he's like, hey, we're doing ice baths upstairs tonight. You want to come? I was like, wait, you're doing ice baths? And it's, there's a group of guys right next door. The world is so it, like, it's crazy how the universe works. Um, I was like kind of missing the cold because it's just so hot here all the time. Even our cold showers, not cold at all. And yeah, yeah. Uh, they just get a big drop off of ice cubes and they have a big plastic tub and it was my first time doing the combination of I, I don't know the actual name but the Wim Hof breathing style the the big sure. inhale through the nose and then let out through the mouth 
And um, yeah. it was absolutely fascinating, man. I've never felt that way. Like I was almost in a psychedelic state going into the water and I've, I've done cold plunges in the lake in Washington, maybe 40 something degrees. And I think this water was a little bit colder and I was in there five minutes with no problem at all. My hands weren't even cold. I was just like so filled with happiness and this like this euphoria. Um, and I'm going to go do it tonight as well. So I'm excited about that. But I think, I think, uh, it's a lot of effort to, you know, hammer open these ice cube bricks and throw them in the water and, we had like seven or eight guys kind of one after the other, but there's like a, there's a community of people even down here in Mexico that, um, that are getting into it. It's, it's, I think last time we talked, we were talking about how this is a growing trend. Now, a year later, this is, uh, this is something that's really, uh, like ubiquitous in a way it's all over the place. And, uh, I think in Mexico, um, uh, our first one we shipped to Bahrain. Um, so we have a unit in Bahrain in the middle East. Um, crap. uh, we have yet to produce, but we have orders, one for London, one for uh, Corsica, France, uh, Germany. I think we have another one in the Middle East. And so we're getting a lot of international inquiries as well, um, which is good to see. Um, so like I said, like it's going to help anybody and everybody. How are you planning to innovate? Is there any plans to do like the the lower end or not such like like maybe just like a more simple version smaller or something like that or are you guys just doubling down and trying to just catch up with orders are you thinking about new products or it sounds like you were thinking about kind of going into the health and wellness space just because of the access issue but what are you guys thinking about for the future so uh we do and we, we will have a contrast spa in um, the warehouse facility. The warehouse facility is about 5,000 square foot warehouse and about 1,000 square foot office. Um, so we have three uh, rooms in the office side uh, and one of those is gonna be dedicated a wellness space. So we've got a sauna on order. It's like a six to eight week um, lead time and we're producing a forge for ourselves right now um, that we will have in there so that we will become one of those blips on the map where someone can drop in on, you know, a visit rate or a monthly rate. And we're thinking about what other services uh, we might want to integrate into the space. And then uh, the largest room in the, in the office side is we're calling it the classroom. And so this is going to be a space where we can hold classes, lectures that talk about the things that we find that resonate with us, our nutrition, fasting. We can have guests come in, guest lectures. We can, it's big enough to hold a yoga class, a breathwork class, you know, so really bringing that together and starting to um, to solidify and grow the community here in Phoenix, um, even more so than it already is, because there is a good community here, of wellness minded people. Um, but being able to become facilitators, that's kind of one of the things that we're really focused on right now. Uh, we did end up taking our basic models uh, kind of off of the store, the, the cold forge, the one that didn't have filtration and ozone disinfection, it was just refrigeration only. Um, we ended up taking that off of the uh, off the market, so to speak, and creating a wait list for it, um, just because we really needed to get a handle on our costs. And by the time we finally did some back of the envelope calculations, we realized that as much as we were spending in training and materials and in the backyard, we we're actually losing money on those units. I'm like, well, we can't do that. We will be out of business. Um, 
So we're starting to bring those back um, now that we've addressed a lot of our costs, now that our, our the crew that we have is trained and they're more efficient. We're buying things in bulk, which brings down material costs. We're being more productive. And so we're starting to, um, to consider bringing those back. Um, and I think we will pretty soon. So that'll bring back those lower cost units. And then driving costs down is always, is always on my mind, um, both um, on you know our profitability side, which we've yet to turn a profit. Um, we're still young enough that we just lose a bunch of money, but that's okay. That's part of the process um, to create a profitable company and then to um, negotiate supplies and things like that um, to bring costs down, which is another thing that we're, we're, we're spending a lot of time, again, trying to buy in bulk, trying to trying to skip the middlemen, go directly to the manufacturers rather than, you know, the manufacturer to the distributor, the distributor to the store, store to the other store, you know, things fucked up along the way. Um, and then as far as products, we do have, uh, we want to start exploring, um, creating our own sauna and integrating some dialed uh, uh, and tuned LEDs in that will facilitate vitamin D production. So it's kind of like a sauna slash tanning bed, but we want to see if there's a way that we can kind of take the tanning part out and, um, and dial uh, the lights um, to produce a non-tanning UV that can, that will also facilitate vitamin D production in, in a way that, that is valuable. Um, a big, part of the metabolic disease in industrial society is vitamin D deficiency. And actually what we find in the COVID-19 science is that an overwhelming number of people who uh, contract the serious and fatal cases are vitamin D deficient. Uh, and so it almost makes sense to me, even though I'm not a lockdown kind of guy, um, that the state of Washington is like the winter is coming, the sun is going away, vitamin D levels collectively drop. And this actually cr does create more susceptibility for a person um, who is vitamin D deficient to contract a serious or fatal case of COVID-19. That's a fact and I don't disagree with it. Now, vitamin D supplements are very cheap um, and they're readily available. And one of the things that really did not make sense to me um, when the COVID-19 hysteria kicked off is how I went to the grocery store and the toilet paper and the pasta was gone, but the vitamin D was still on the shelves. Um, and again, here's that thing where sometimes I want to like yell it and drill it into people and be like, no, you have to understand that toilet paper is not as important as the vitamin D supplements. But, you know, that's just hard to do when people are in a, in a hysteric state. Um, so that said, um, lockdown is probably going to happen in a lot of different places, but I hope that um, people go and get some vitamin D supplements um, while they can, because taking those is, you know, from everything I've seen in the science and the literature and the data is a huge um, protector against the virus. And against all sorts of bugs. I, last yeah. year, I had, yeah. a, I had mono last year and I was just a little bit overworked. I just pushed it a little too hard. I went and traveled in Southeast Asia for a month and got back just crushed. I have a naturopathic doctor up in Seattle and she put me on 100,000 IUs a day for like a week or something like that. I can't remember the exact protocol, but basically just load that vitamin D up for like three, five, seven days and then go on like a five or 10,000 a day regiment just consistently for, for a while. And I'm still, I still take the vitamin D 
What other supplements do you take? Uh, well, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, so I don't take a whole lot of vitamin D unless it's been really cloudy for a long time and because there's just plenty of sunshine here. Now that I'm not working out in the backyard and I'm in the warehouse, I'm going to start popping those. Um, I don't take a whole lot of supplements on any regular basis. Um, yeah, I, I really don't have much of a supplement routine at all. I have an idea. I'm going to Costa Rica next month um, to not only gauge the market for uh, forges at resorts and things like that, but I have an idea on uh, reclaiming coffee berry fruit and uh, using it to make a kombucha. Um, and coffee berry fruit is uh, a good antioxidant. And uh, as I understand it, it's almost just a waste product in Costa Rica. So the coffee bean sits inside of basically a cherry looking fruit and they'll tear the bean out and throw the fruit away. But the fruit, especially the skin of the fruit, has a lot of antioxidant properties. And um, I do have some coffee berry extract that I've been experimenting with. Um, and I want to start thinking about how I might um, create a kombucha out of that that I think would do well. Hmm. Man, you, your brain is interesting. You have so, It's in so many different places, even though you're full on with the Morosco stuff. What yeah. is it like kind of getting towards the end of our conversation here, but what is it that really motivates you most? Like if you had to explain in a few sentences, like what drives you to do what you do? Obviously it's not just financial freedom, but like what is it on a deeper level that you like makes you want to spend your days in the way that you do? So the word that I like is agency. Uh, and agency is a word that it can mean financial freedom. Um, it can mean, you know, freedom from uh, overbearing parents or uh, freedom from, you know, a high pressure social group, whatever it is. It's basically a person, a person's level of freedom to do whatever they want, to be free, to um, travel if they want to travel, to not travel if they want to, you know, a person has agency means they're in control of their own life um, and they're, they're, as free as they can be from other influences and, and things like that. And I think really that's what drives um, me to do uh, what I do is uh, I'm, I'm always looking for ways to become more agent of my life, to do what I want to do, to be who I want to be, dress how I want to dress. And, um, you know, that doesn't mean I get to go around, you know, kicking puppies or anything like that. I don't want to kick puppies, but... Um, we, ha we all have to live within the bounds of uh, societal norms and laws and things like that. Um, but always seeking ways for me to be free from the imposed fears and anxieties, things like that. I see a lot of people in our society. Um, I feel that, um, that, that a lot of people in our society feel like politicians have, you know, massive controls over their life. Some of them do, um, but a lot of people just have this feeling. And so that's why they, they go to the, the other politician because that one promises to save them from this politician. And this politician promises to save a different set of people from this politician. And me, I'm just working to make both of those assholes irrelevant in my life. Like, you know, if they all start coming to me because they need things from me. And that's why I kind of feel like, um, is, is my goal. And then I'll tell them both the fuck off and I'll move to Costa Rica. But, um, you know, just reducing those, those influences, because, uh, you know, like, like you said earlier, if you're not working on your dream, you're working on somebody else's. And if you're not, um, if you're not in control and agent of your own life then somebody else is, uh, you know, there's a, uh, 
a former Navy SEAL named uh, Jocko Wilnick, who uh, now he does business consulting, and he he wrote a book called um, Discipline is Freedom, um, which is kind of this uh, juxtaposition of, of almost, almost seemingly opposite words, like discipline and freedom. So, but the idea is that, no, if you are disciplined, then you are free. If you're the one who is disciplining yourself and you're the one who is choosing, you know, yourself for yourself, your growth and your process, and you're defining your success and you're going after it, you're not waiting on somebody else to do it or somebody else to impose it or somebody else to tell you what to do, to get up, to make your bed, to do your laundry, to, you know, wash yourself, whatever. If you have, the more discipline you have, you're actually more free because then, you know, nobody's telling you what to do. So. I love Jocko. I, I, I listen to Jocko's podcast quite a bit and I've, I've learned a lot about leadership and discipline and uh, accountability and things like that from him. I recommend his podcast highly. Do you listen to other podcasts? And I was going to also ask you before you go, favorite books you've read this year or any other resources? Sure. I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts. Um, Adrian and I have a little bit of a, a tradition when she is uh, going with me and we've got a long drive um, somewhere um, because we won't be in the same audiobook or, or you know, whatever. Um, we'll listen to, you know, some Joe Rogans or something like that if somebody's on that we, that we really, uh, that we really want to hear. Um, but, Mostly it's, it's audiobooks when I'm in the car. Um, and I don't have a whole lot of, my mind doesn't have a whole lot of, uh, uh, bandwidth for paying attention to audio unless I am driving. That's basically the only time I can listen to a podcast or an audiobook. Um, books this year have really been light. Uh, I have not done as much reading as, uh, the last couple of years. Um, you know, getting busy with the, um, business, uh, also, uh, not having a commute to and from my day job. Again, that just, I used to have uh, half an hour to 40 minutes in every day in the morning and in the uh, afternoon driving to and from the office that went away because my day job went to work remote months before I finally left it. And so one of the things I'm looking forward to the most about having the warehouse and the office space is now I have a commute again. So now I have another 16 mile drive where I can do an audiobook in the morning and in the afternoon. Right now I'm listening to Principles by Ray Dalio in the morning. Uh, and then I'm listening to Cannery Row by John Steinbeck in the afternoon. I like to balance my reading between um, fiction and nonfiction. So usually in the morning commute, uh, my audiobook will be something relatively new, nonfiction. It'll be business. It'll be um, philosophy, it'll be health, it'll be, you know, self-development growth, something like that. And then in the afternoon, it'll be fiction, it'll be older. Um, I like to say at least 50 years old or older, and it'll be something um, that is still kind of recognizable. Like maybe you haven't read Cannery Row by John Steinbeck, but I'm sure you've heard of John Steinbeck or other um, books that I've done. Um, I've read a lot. I mean, I've done a lot of classics. I'm struggling. I could pull up on my phone. But anyways. what about anything that's helped you learn that you've applied to your business specifically? All of it. Yeah, all of it. All of it. Um, and the big thing that I get out of books is um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, it's, it's somebody telling a story about us. It's about who we are, about, you know, their perspective, um, whether it's presented as a narrative in, you know, made up characters and things like that, or, 
whether it's you know a, a business, uh, a successful business person talking about their path through business, it's all a story of us. It's all a story of humanity, um, what's possible, what's hopeful, what's fearful. And what I really love most about balancing the fiction and the nonfiction, and here's the reason why I pick fiction that's 50 years old or older, um, because if, if a work of fiction is 50 years old or older, and you can still find it like on the shelves at Barnes and Noble, or it's still, you know, in print. There's a reason for that. I don't, I don't know what the reason is. You have to open the book and find it, but there's some kind of resonance wisdom or kernel of truth in it that is keeping it in print for more than two generations. So once a book, once a piece of fiction hits 50 years old, it's now spanned three generations. And so if it was true to you, if there was something true about it to your grandparents and there's something true about it to your, to your parents' generation, and there's something true about it to your generation, then there's something to that. And so that's why I use that litmus test for fiction. But what's very interesting is sometimes I'll be reading or listening to a, a very new piece of nonfiction and a very old piece of fiction, and they will line up in very interesting ways. Like you'll hear a character in the, the untrue, the fictional narrative speaks some sort of idiom or wisdom that was also spoken in slightly different words by this, you know, successful business person or author or self-help guru or whatever. And so what I love most about books and about that process is just, again, finding that it's all just a story about us. It's all just a story about who we are, where we've come from, where we're going. And, you know, you know, the, the, complexity of the human condition and the human event that's just sometimes why i find it harder to tear myself away from the books and pick up some podcasts <laughs> man that's that's really interesting something i've never really heard articulated this conversation was a blast for me i'm stoked to see how you continue to grow i feel like it's just going it's just growth over there in your life and your business and uh yeah cool to be a part of it Thanks for, I want to say, yeah, thanks for being one of my first 10 podcasts and um, helping me get launched for sure. You were one Absolutely. of the first people that I actually reached out to that was not one of my close friends. I was just interviewing friends and people I know. And so, um, yeah, it's cool to uh, be in your world and to be watching from afar. But yeah, excited for what happens next. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. Cool, man. And uh, tell Adrian, thank you as well for just uh, being the great coach that she is. And both of you guys, um, how do I how do we find you on social media? Because both of you guys are great to follow. You guys put out some cool stuff. Well, thanks. Well, uh, the company is at Morozko Forge, M-O-R-O-Z-K-O-F-O-R-G-E. Uh, I am at Jason underscore Morozko, which is fooling a lot of people into thinking that's my real last name. Mm -hmm. um, uh, <laughs> And then uh, Adrian, I believe she's at Adrian. It might be underscore sure. Jezik. Yeah. I'll link it to, in the podcast description, but. Yeah, at Adrian underscore Jezik, A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E underscore J-E-Z-I-C-K. Fantastic. And I didn't get to ask you about what it's like to work with your wife and with, with Adrian, um, but I think in the future it would be cool to do a podcast with three of us or even um, I'm doing a second podcast now that's um, like a micro kind of like shorter form and we pick one topic. It's called the symphony podcast and then we just dive in on that one topic. So if we um, want to, we could do, do one for that. And uh, it's just a nice alternative to these long form conversations that are more conversational to 
just have some bullet points, prep a little bit, and then everyone shares their perspective. So yeah, sounds great. I'll circle back on that, but cool, man. Well, um, thanks again for your time and your wisdom. Appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Enjoy Mexico. Thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you very soon.